Welcome back to Pet Chat right here at 2NURFM. Dr. David Tabbert's trying to diagnose me. I, I just coughed and you just said I had TB. Well, if I was a medical doctor, yeah. human medical doctor, I'd be, yes. Well, you need, one, you need one, to get yourself checked out. One cough and all of a sudden, like, I'm a, I'm a, a disease that Look, we I, don't I, even have in this country anymore. I, Thank you. I didn't ask you to leave the room. <laughs> Fair enough. Does that mean you've got TB? Maybe. Cheryl Shaw, we're going to start with you, as we always do. And you're talking about uh, well, looking after our, our dogs in the wintertime, which we are in the middle of. Absolutely. Have you guys heard the expression Three Dog Night? Mm. Heard of the band? Three I know. Dog I night. thought you would have said that. Maybe there's up. a beer name, Three Dogs. I thought that's what it referred to. Uh, have well, I got time to Google it? Well, you can if you like. But I Cheryl's think got the answer. answer. She's got the answer. Okay. It's actually a slang. Now you you are quite right. There is a band from the '60s called Three Dog mm. Night, and um, a lot of our listeners would love that music. But the thing is, with Three Dog Night, it's actually a slang term for how cold it is at night. How many dogs you need to snuggle into. Ah. So, Mark, you sense. might need to get a dog or two just to have a snuggle at night. I've only just put the covers on. I don't, stop it. Okay. But getting on the serious side of things, we really do need to make sure we're looking after our pets during this cold weather. And apparently the, wind, the wet weather is about to hit us. So if your dog is sleeping outside, make sure that the kennel is waterproof because a lot of dogs do go into their kennel, their kennel gets wet from the rain and then their bedding is mm. wet. So we really need to look at this, that the chill factor for the dogs, particularly our dogs that are senior dogs and our puppies. Dogs with health um, implications too, David, that's an issue for when they they get damp, isn't it? Yeah, and I think the other thing is a lot of dogs, because of their different breeds, so we have short coat dogs, long coat dogs, they do feel the cold differently. Yeah, absolutely. Now on that, with the short coated dogs, dogs like your whippets and your greyhounds, they benefit from having a jacket on particularly, you know, when they're lean, they've got not a lot of coat. Mm. So wearing a jacket, and particularly if you're taking them walking, making sure that your dog has a rain jacket on if you if it's out in the wet weather. Because a rain jacket is really going to stop that fur from saturating. When you get home, you are going to need to make sure that you towel down and dry your dog off of any moisture that's there. Pay particular attention to the dog's feet, because if they've got wet feet, they're going to track marks through the house, leaving little paw prints, but also they're going to start chewing and licking at their feet so we don't want that sort of thing to happen some dogs really don't like having jackets on so you've got to make sure that it's fitting correctly and it's not chafing under the arms and things like that or if if they're not fitted properly they can cause irritation a lot of um, greyhounds these days I'm seeing not just wearing jackets, but they're wearing trendy scarves. They tend to love having the scarves on. Do they have a soy latte as well? When they <laughs> <laughs> Sitting there having their so latte? Maybe a puppuccino? Oh, you're too good today. Okay, but another thing is to make sure that you get your vet's to check your dog. A health check during winter is really important. If you're noticing that your dog is stiff or um, seems to not be getting up as easily, uh, it's a great idea to go along and and have a health check at winter because the vet can often help out with some of the pain management um, issues that your dog may need at this time of the year. Also, some people change their habits during the winter time. I know that I'm a bit more reclusive, but uh, what happens is that I couldn't get any more. <laughs> <laughs> what happens is that we change our routines, and when we change our routines, sometimes it's because it's you know dark and cold outside in the morning, and we think, oh, we're not going to get up and go for that walk. Mm. Or it might be that the sun's setting a lot earlier, and it's again dark when you come home from work. But when we change our routines, it has a big impact on our dogs. 
So dogs do need to get out. They do need to have, um, you know, a walk. They do need to, to change environments just so that they have that physical activity and that'll prevent boredom and it also prevents undesired behaviours because if they're bored, they're going to get into some trouble. When you say undesired behaviours due to boredom, yep. a couple of big ticket ones come to mind, Cheryl? Yeah, so you've got, you know, your barking, you've got destructive behaviour as well. They might start chewing and doing things. But, you know, the barking's a big problem because we get so many dogs with noise complaints from neighbours. That's a, a really huge issue. So if a dog has got a little bit more stimulation, if it's taken out for the walk, it's going to be um, obviously a lot better. Now another problem in the house is if you're using fires or heaters, you need to make sure that you're checking your dogs and your cats regularly because often they'll lay in front of the fire or the heater and overheat. Some will actually get burned. They just don't get up. David, do you ever see dogs coming or cats coming through with burns from fires? Uh, not so much fires, but electric heaters. Electric heaters, mm. yeah. Okay. Yeah, if they lie there, they get too close uh, and they go to sleep, mm-hmm. um, that's when we see problems. Yeah, mm. okay. The other thing is too, electric heaters and things like that, if you're playing games with your dogs and cats inside, can get knocked over. So it's a great idea just to make sure you've got special rules in place around heaters and mm. fires. How about not play games when there's cats or dogs near heaters? That's a good start. (laughs) Yeah, that's very true, Mark. Um, But it is important, too, that your dog has a comfortable bed so uh, that it's nice and and warm for it to snuggle into. Um, And, you know, the main thing is with with your dog's... um, and cats, that you you can keep them warm. You can snuggle up on a blanket together, have a snuggle and just not worry about those winter blues. And it's confession time? Confession time. Okay. Now, Cheryl, you know my dog. Yes. Amy. Amy. Well, she is short-coated, but she does carry a degree of, well, let's say, comfort fat. <laughs> but she, she okay. gets cold. Yeah. So she does sleep on our bed. And in winter, we find she moves around a lot. So we've worked out how to fix that. If we pop her under the doona, she goes to sleep and doesn't move. <laughs> under the doona. Or well, maybe that's a nice thing for her. She's down the end of the bed, under the doona. Down the other end, away, mm. from, away from you. Mm. Mm. Does she wear a jacket? Oh, not when she's under the doona. No. But during oh, the day? Yeah, when we go out. Yep. For early, early walks, yep. yes. Yeah. I think jackets are really good. Mm. But you just have to remember, it's okay for you because you don't have a dog with a lot of coat. But when you've got a dog with a lot of coat and they're wearing a jacket, you need to take that jacket off and give them a good brush. Otherwise, their hair will become matted and compacted. Mm. That's oh. a good point. Pet Chat, Wednesday afternoons at 2 RFM. Dr David Tabron and uh, Cheryl Shaw. Time to uh, head to the telephone. Kim at Swansea, what's going on with your dog's sleeping habits there, Kim? Yeah, hi. Um, our dog is also a cross cavalier Shih Tzu. She's 10 years old and she also sleeps under our doona in our bed there you, night. There you go. See, now these guys, Kim, these guys here, they were making fun of me. But um, you, we're all on the same path. It's comfort and looking after them. Absolutely. Yeah. They're human, just like we are. Oh, there well, you hang go. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute, Kim. No, no. Mark, I mean, the dogs, the dogs is... do like to be part of the family and part That's... of the tribe, but you know they're not human. No, I've worked. Oh, it, I've worked this out. Is. Yeah. <laughs> dogs. Dogs don't think they're human. They think that we're dogs. Oh, okay. There you go. See, <laughs> any, anyone give you grief about that? You just say, "Well, the dog thinks I'm a dog." Now, Kim, does your dog snore? Yes. Oh, human. <laughs> It's human. <laughs> and probably male. And does it does this create problems for you, Kim? 
No. No. It's part of being no. part of being a parent. Absolutely. Good on you. How does the other half feel about sharing with the dog and you? Um, he gets a little bit cranky sometimes, but he's fine. He I, can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> he knows his place. <laughs> Probably in the doghouse. <laughs> Probably in the doghouse. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, good on you. Good on you, Kim. You've restored my faith in humans and Absolutely. Excellent. Good to hear. All right. Love your show. See you. Thanks, Thank guys. you. Bye-bye. Oh, there you go. She's restored your faith, David, either in humans or dogs that think they're humans or dogs that think that we're dogs. Uh, I'll, yeah. I, I can never follow your logic sometimes, but I think you're on the right path. I think we're on the right path. Good stuff. Good afternoon, Anne. You uh, want to talk about your dog's, dog's sleeping, your dog's sleeping habit there at Curry? Hello. Hi, Anne. Hi, I agree with that woman that yes. was on just before me. We've got a little seven-year-old Maltese too, and she sleeps under the covers with us, and they are human. There you go. There you go. So your little dog, how heavy would your dog be, do you think? Uh, around seven kilos. Yes, less than. So my dog sleeps under the doona as well, but she's 32 kilos, 33 uh, okay. So it's like having four of your dogs under the <laughs> doona there. It really is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So you've got you've still got plenty of room. That's the main thing. Uh, yeah, if she don't push her out she... of bed, she might <laughs> close oh. You move over to the side and she moves over with you. She does. She does. I reckon this bed has become the dog's bed that you sleep in too, Anne, by the sound of it. Uh-huh, yeah. Now, um, Cheryl asked this question of Kim before, but does your little dog, Anne, does, uh, does your little dog snore at night? Uh, yeah, but that don't matter because so does my husband. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hey, 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 I've got to ask you, Anne, who's worse? Both about the same. That's all right. You've only just shared that with the three people in this room and you, so it's he's sec- oh, okay. secrets. Secrets still safe. Th- thank you very much, <laughs> and have a great afternoon. Uh, something a little bit different now, Jenny from Cessnock. Uh, your adopted cat's behaviour. What's going on with you, Jenny? Oh hi. I listen to your show as often as I can. It's really good. I've just adopted a, a, a cat three weeks ago from the RSPCA, and. Um, Last night, it seems as if she doesn't like lose, using the litter tray, mm-hmm. but they told me that you know she has to be an inside cat. Um, the thing is, she she meows and meows until I take her to the to the litter tray. Yes, um, and and then she'll go. But last night, um, she was on the floor in front of the heater. Anyway, she meowed, and I I said, "No, you can stay there." Anyway, she walked over and just peed on the carpet. Mm. <laughs> this is we're not getting off to a great start then are we um so how old's this little one well they reckon she's about two two year old so an adult cat yeah and do you have other cats no any dogs no excellent okay and how many litter trays do we have um only the only the one i don't really have the space to put Another right. one? You'll have space. You need to make some space for at least one more. Okay. Um, so my general advice to people is the number of litter trays is one per cat plus one. Oh, okay. All so right. for your for your situation, it'll be two trays. And I would also suggest that you might want to use different litters in each of the trays. 
Yep. Um, so what we're trying to do is to provide your new cat with options and with, um, you know, feeling comfortable in a different space. You might need to move it around as well and find a space where he's going to use it a bit more frequently. Okay, yep. Um, I've, I've never had a cat that's um, had to use a litter tray. I've always had cats that have mm. gone outside. But she's a little bit um, flighty and I'm, I live on a busy road, so... Mm. Um, yeah, I'm in, the, in the process of building a, a, a cat house, a catty co house, so that she can come and go outside, but I just haven't finished it yet. Jenny, yeah. you were just saying you've only had her for three weeks, which is a fairly short period of time. Mm. Just for the, her settling in, it might be worth you visiting your vet and getting some fell away. There's a plug-in that you can put into your PowerPoint, and it just has a pheromone that makes the cat feel a lot more secure. And, um, David, that would mm. be a good idea. So this uh, this was going to be another follow up point for you, uh, yeah. Jenny, because it um, so cats secrete pheromones, which are uh, chemicals that they can detect by their smell, and that um, triggers behaviours. And the Feliway spray is a calming uh, pheromone, a calming behaviour. Uh, okay. In cat urine, they often, if they're anxious, they'll be spreading uh, the pheromones that are actually quite stressful. So uh, okay. this is the other thing too, is that with any litter tray, particularly when you're trying to train a cat, you need to make sure that it gets cleaned up really quickly. Yeah, I do that. As soon as I know she's gone to the toilet, I, I clean it. I clean it up and I clean the tray out twice a day. Excellent, excellent. That's, that's absolutely what you need to do. So an extra litter tray, different litter, fell yep. away spray, and I reckon you're, you're already doing a lot of the things that you need to. You're noticing the signs that she's telling telling you that she needs to go, making sure she's got opportunity. And I think that, you know, just with a little bit of time and those kind of activities, you'll sort things out pretty quickly. Yeah, I still think she's she's nervous. Um, She's up on top of the cupboard, like on a pillow up on top of the cupboard, um, which she sleeps there virtually all day. But at night time... She's with me and she just won't leave me alone, you know, won't leave me alone and she's always paddling, you know. Yeah, that's a a very calming thing as well that she's trying to reassure herself. So I think the Fellaway is going to be really helpful for you and the extra litter trays are going to... Um, solve this pretty quickly. But I, I think you'll be fine. Thank you very much, Jenny. Some great advice there. We'll come back with a little bit. See, you do know what you're doing, David. That's going to be a topic in a minute, but you've got a bit of a clue on <laughs> some things. Thanks, Mark. All righty. More, pe- more pet chat in a minute. <laughs> Cheryl Shaw is still here. G'day, Cheryl. Hi there, Mark. And Dr. David Tabret. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mark. Now, we're going to sort of stick with you now. You've, you, you've got a question on, kind of on yourself, uh, what what to do when you don't know what's going on? I noticed this was a pattern I talked about myself last week. You did? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. Well, well, we'll talk about my experiences in, in your, the your, veterinary world. In your professional experience in the in that world. Yes, 30 years. It's a long time oh, to be doing anything. Gee, life's been me. tough on you. I, I, I know. How do I keep this complexion <laughs> on your heart? <laughs> Never mind. So, so where do you want to go with this, David? Have you ever watched that TV show House when it was on? You know about Dr. House? Yes. And a patient would come he in. He was with, almost as grumpy as you are. Thank you. He would, <laughs> people would come in without really knowing what was going on, and they'd try a hundred different tests, and eventually they'd find out what's happening. But there was always this degree of uncertainty. There was always this, well, it could be this, it could be this. And I thought it'd be a good topic to talk about what, what happens when your vet, or your doctor, I suppose, but we'll talk about vets, 
don't know what's going on. Uh, would it would even be more compounded by the fact that the animals can't actually talk to you? I mean, if it's a doctor and a human, we can say, well, this is where I hurt, but well, the animal can't. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I think a lot of the time I we, thought so. we kind of compare it to uh, paediatricians who are mm. you know, dealing with kids who can't verbalise you know, where the problem is. And um, they rely on parents describing what the symptoms are, what the signs are. So that's kind of the, the approach that we sometimes take. And I think it would be worth just... The way I approach these problems is that the pet will have a problem. That's why you brought them in. So I'm not going to give it a problem. I'm going to helpfully uncover and diagnose and work out what we do. So it's kind of like the answer to the problem is written on a piece of paper in a dark room... And it's how many steps do we have to take? How many lights do we have to turn on before I can tell you, ah, that's what it is. And it's always better to actually get a diagnosis to treat successfully. But in my world, where I mainly work is emergency, a lot of the times we have to treat before we even know what the problem is. So, for instance, with trauma, poisonings, we're going to actually treat the symptoms that we see the patient come in with. We may not know the full extent of what's going on, but we will get there. We will discover it. But it might take a bit of time, might take a few tests until we can uncover it. And then, of course, on top of that, a lot of diseases look the same. You know, when they start out or at any point, uh, but a lot of diseases start out very vague, very kind of, well, they're just a bit unwell and, you know, they're off their food. And that could be one of 150,000 different problems. So it's how do we work that out? How How is the challenge then with, with the pet owners? Because they've come in, like you said, emergency is mostly your world, and they're, they're panicking because their pet has mm, this problem. Mm. And you can't just go, well, there's the problem, let's fix it. I mean, that, that's got to be a bit of a challenge. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes it is. And I think that the important thing is to, you know, just to recognise, sorry, <clears throat> that um, it's in those moments that uh, people... And, and, and their pet owners obviously are, are distressed about seeing. We've just heard people ringing in about their family members here, uh, their dogs. And so they're distressed at seeing their poor pet being in either trauma or distressed or it's poisoned or whatever it is and not really knowing. So what we want to do is try and approach it and say, how can we you know, get to an answer? Sure, that helps. But how can we give you peace of mind that we're approaching this problem appropriately? And... Sometimes it, it takes quite a few steps um, and kind of an off the flippant mark remark that I sometimes make is, uh, well, that's why God invented MRI machines, because mm -hmm. if we could find it with an X-ray, we wouldn't need an MRI. We, you know, we wouldn't need these, these other tests. So that's why they're there is because we don't, we're not able to tell just when they walk in the room. The other problem, uh, Mark, which you've just touched on is in the, the clinical course or, or what we call the path of the disease. So oftentimes it starts in emergency and we, if we jump ahead six weeks or six hours or six months sometimes and look backwards, we go, ah, that's when it started. But we don't know that at the start. We don't know which path it's going to take. So we try and project and give people some degree of certainty so that they can make appropriate decisions. Not always easy. Do you find that sometimes, and I would imagine not in many cases, but in sometimes uh, folks may be a little cynical of the process and think that you'd start well, to make a, a buck? 
I get, I guess so. Um, but I do know that, like in uh, dealing with the human medical system, uh, with our family, we've seen a change and a shift in the language, where we now see doctors are more prepared to say, "Look, I don't know." what this is whereas i think in the past they saw it as their role just to say you know pat you on the hand and say it'll be right dear and um we, you know we've got it covered whereas now they're saying well here's the things we know here's what we don't know and i kind of approach things the same way here's what we know here's what we don't know and let's work together so it's probably the opposite of that then that you would say that most people are more comforted if you can give them all the information but that information may be like you said, we know this, this is what we don't know, and there's a whole lot in the middle that I really don't know yet. And here's the other problem. Like, I know I just mentioned I've been doing this for 30 years. Looks don't match, obviously. But, um, you know, I've got advanced degrees in small animal medicine, in emergency. I've been do it, working just in emergency for 20 years. If I walk into a room and I say, hmm, this is a bit strange, I'm not sure what's going on, it's probably going to be pretty tough to work out. Uh, because I've treated you know tens of thousands of patients over the course of my career, so that's kind of the thing that was most confronting to me after a, probably after a five years or so, is that you suddenly go, oh, there's a whole lot I don't know, and I think it's tough for younger. This is true for any career, is that you go in to talk to someone and you say, well, I don't know what's going on here. Now it's okay if the grey-haired older vet says it, but if it's a younger vet that says that sometimes they're burdened by you know well get me someone who does know yeah so you know i i'm a bit more comfortable but i agree with you i think it's uh people are looking for certainty and i i want to give that to them yeah and like you said you're dealing with medical and it's uh it's a whole lot of things that could go wrong mm. and, and, hopefully and, you, and to, you know how how long ago was it that we were doing things that today are considered archaic in terms of medicine. I mean, we're advancing all the time. So that's the other thing too, is that research might get us some of those answers. But as we know, new questions will emerge. It is Pat Chat on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Cheryl Shaw is still here. You've got the dog of the week to do in a moment. So we do. We've got three dogs, but two dogs at the same time. Cuties. Oh. And, uh, yes, yeah, see, I know what's going on, David. So I'm, I know, in my world, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Good afternoon, Louise from Swansea. You've got a question about uh, older dogs and strokes today. I've got a German short-haired pointer, and she's 14. Mm-hmm. Um, a few months ago, she had a turn in the early hours of the morning and we couldn't get her up on her legs and we took her to the vet straight away like when the vet's open the next morning and we were told that it was a stroke. Mm -hmm. Then she had another one about eight weeks later and then this morning she had another one but it's quite quite a small one, not as bad as um, the other two. Um, Is there anything else than... Any inflammatories and valium that should be prescribed for it? Um, well, the first thing is talking about older dogs and strokes. And I was just saying to the guys when I saw your name come up, it's a favourite topic of mine. So just very quickly is that we used to say, and this is years ago, oh, these dogs have these turns and oh, it's probably a stroke without really knowing exactly what that meant. Um, And I guess this is kind of fits in with the topic that we were talking about today about certainty. So the 
interesting thing is that as we've looked further, and this is again about this, you know, increases in medicine, as we've looked with tools like an MRI machine, we've discovered that sometimes there are vascular disease, which is what happens in people that we call stroke. And sometimes there are other causes. Now, just very briefly on that is that we identify four possible uh, diseases that can cause these symptoms. One is chronic kidney disease, chronic hypertension or high blood pressure, just like people. There's another disease called Cushing syndrome, which can cause this. Yeah, there's that one, yep. Yep. And for the life of me, I always forget the fourth one. It'll come Don't back to me. Don't look at me. I said, it's out. Why can I help you? <laughs> Didn't I do this a couple of weeks and <laughs> Probably. I go and I forgot it again? Oh Trust me, goodness. Louise, he is really good. He is a really good but I'm getting, normally. But I'm getting old. and. <laughs> My memory's going. But about half the time, we also don't identify a cause. So my kind of comment with regard to your scenario is that because it's happened a couple of times, I think that it would be worth talking with your vet about, you know, screening for those other conditions. Because, you know, if it was just a one-off, you might say, well, you know, it's not happened. But now we've seen it a couple of times. And if there's something like, you know, a kidney disease or something else that's going on, then that, that is a specific treatment that's different to treatment for the other problems. Right, and okay. So ra- rather than just saying, well, you know, this drug fixes that, we don't know what the disease is. So I think they probably need to look a bit further. doesn't mean you have to go and have an MRI, although that's available. Um, right. But uh, sometimes things like kidney disease we do see in older dogs for sure, and there are treatments available for that. So I think... What about the one with the... Um the problem with the ears yes that's Um, that's an interesting question as well and i went to a lecture on that a couple of years ago given by a a veterinary neurosurgeon who is australian but he's based in california and someone asked him that exact question and they said well what about this old, old geriatric vestibular syndrome in dogs and he said well they are old and they do have vestibular signs but i think it's caused by these other conditions so, right. Yeah, we used to we used to think it was just kind of like a random thing associated with um, crystals that form in the ears, and um, now his his suggestion is no, these dogs have some form of brain disease. Thank you so much, Louise. So, Tony, you're at Tanulba Bay. You've got a question about your son's dog today. Tony, what's happening with your son's dog? Well, hello there. Hey, Tony. How can we help? Uh, my, I'm looking after my son's dog. It's an American Staffy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's 18 months old, but he's bugged by flies all the time. Mm. We've, we've got our own dog, Jack Russell, and the flies don't seem to bother. Uh, the dogs are regularly bathed, and they're clean. They're not smelly dogs. Yeah. But the flies just seem to haunt. I was wondering whether there's something like an irrigate for, for um, dogs or something like that. Now, there's a couple of things. Um, are they attacking, like, biting around the ears in that area? Yeah. 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 Um, we see that quite a bit, and I have seen that. Um, what you've observed is that some dogs seem to get touched and the other dogs don't, which is kind of yep. strange. Uh, first thing is don't just spray them with anything um, because there are, you know, some of the insecticides and things like that. I had someone once who actually sprayed their dog with cockroach spray, oh. and yeah, it, it yeah. ended up getting... A heart rate of 280. Uh, So you do have to use a pet product. Um, And there is actual fly repellent product. It comes as a cream. 
and you can rub it onto their ears, and it works really, really well. Yep. Um, so I'd, the name of that, that'd be good. Yeah, there's one that I know of. It's called Muscabane, and it's it. it's absolutely brilliant. It's designed to prevent flies from biting because some of these flies actually um, rely on the blood from the animal, and that's why they'll often attack a, a dog that doesn't have a lot of fur, um, and like your staffy, that's easier for them to get the blood from them. And also, some dogs have different odors, which are actually attract the flies to them. So, um, using a, a product that's designed to stop the biting flies is a great idea just pop it on every morning and then your dog will be at least um you know fly bite free thank you so much tony and uh, also sure we're going to stick with you hang on judy we'll see if we can get you in a moment sure we've got to do these dogs of the week so dogs of the week who have we got first today oh we've got this little couple that's so cute get on the line and have a look at them sid and nancy they're five-year-old mini foxies do you love them back to back to the when was that 70s late 70s what sid and nancy vicious (laughs) <laughs> oh, you, 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 okay, gotcha. Okay, so this is a, a loving five-year-old couple looking for a place to call home. They're a bonded pair of mini foxes, foxies who have grown up together and they must stay together. So they've got to be adopted out to the same family. They're very cute and they're great with kids, but the children need to be over 12. So please make sure that it, that's not going with younger children. These dogs like to stay inside, so it's really important that they live um, with their humans inside. Uh, They like going out into the garden and enjoy the sunshine, but of an evening they're going to be curled up on your knee and probably sleeping in your bed, I would say. Until you go to sleep and then the punk rock starts. I love the photo of these dogs. They They are people. Little people. Where? They really look I like people. I haven't seen the photo. Oh, have oh come on, have a look at that, Dave. They're pretty cute. Just how pop up, how pop... can our listeners see the photo? Oh, easy. You pop up onto our webpage from the Pet Chat area, Dog of the Week, and you will see that lovely photo there. <laughs> pretty they cute. are people. They right? are cute. Yeah. yeah. Cheryl, our uh, next and final animal for today. Okay, it's a pretty cute dog as well. It's um, Little Puddin. And Puddin is a six-month-old Border Collie cross Staffy. But there's a bit of a story behind this little dog. Um, he was born into a foster care family and he was considered not quite normal. There's this little guy who couldn't walk as well as his siblings. He actually had a CT scan and was found that he had a bacterial infection and it had invaded a small space in his spine. And as a result, this area has now been fused together and the bacterial infection has gone. It's quite the story. It is, isn't it? Ooh. So he loves to run and rumble with his doggy friends. Um, putting is in need of a home um, with lots of love and somebody that's home with the dog most of the time. In all other ways, he's a happy little dude and a happy puppy. Um, as with some young puppies and seniors' dogs, Pudding will have to have special requirements for a happy life. He must sleep inside. He is crate trained, and he will use a pee mat. He's the <clears> sweetest, <throat> gentle boy, and he will sit on command and snuggle for a cuddle. Oh, he's a good winter dog with mm. a rug. We're yeah. really back where we started, aren't we? We are. Yeah. But he's pretty cute. Jump online and have a look if you're looking for poor a, Puddin. Poor Puddin. I can see a new dog coming to your place, David. Not enough room in the bed. <laughs> Not enough room. You can sit with a dog bed or something. Yeah. All right, that's it. Pet chat done. Thank you, Dr. David Tabber, particularly for the insight into whatever Thanks, it is that you do. Seen he didn't know what he was talking yeah, about. Yeah, he had no clue. For, mm. Not bad for a bloke who didn't have a clue. <laughs> and Cheryl Shaw, for your, your do- covering all the stuff we need to do for dogs in winter and indeed our pets of the week. Now, you're, you're in the middle of buying a new dog for yourself at the moment. How's yeah, that all I going? Am. Oh, well. 
Avalon and I are happy, but David's not so sure. Yeah, that's your David at home. He's mm. not, but he, he knew that there were going to be more dogs when he, he met you. That's for sure. That's for sure. All right, guys, Petcha done for another week. Uh, back next week, uh, same time. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Two NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business, and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.